This is the Under Pressure Outdoors Podcast. This week we join Jim Hazley, Gene Weldon, and Steve Christian in the Lake Panasofsky Wildlife Management Area the night ahead of a Florida chapter backcountry hunters and anglers small game hunt. Lake Panasofsky Wildlife Management Area lies among the eastern shore of Lake Panasofsky in north central Sumter County. This is nearly 9,000 acre area was acquired between 1990 and 1997 to preserve the lake and its associated floodplain forest. Four spring-fed creeks enter the lake. Pinelands and oak scrub are found at higher elevations. This week, we'll still be chasing a few bushy tails for the crock pot. And now, this week we have Jim and Steve and Gene. So if you guys want to go ahead and introduce yourself, you can go ahead and start. Steve? Yeah, I'm Steve Christian. I'm the secretary for the Florida chapter of BHA, and I'm just happy to be here. (laughs) Gene? And I'm Gene Weldon, and uh, I just recently got back into being able to hunt after a long uh, layoff. Uh, Finally retired and really like hunting. Good to hear. Jim? I'm Jim Hazley, and I am the vice chairman for Central Florida and Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. Um, Much of my responsibility lies between the areas north of Route 70 and south of 48 or south of Ocala and trying to facilitate small game hunts and deal with issues. Um, If I can hijack just a minute or two of your podcast, though, I would like to point out that one of the issues that BHA will be embracing pretty soon has to do with something called the proposed Seagrove Forest Road. And what that is, is in in Walden County, they are proposing a two and a half mile road right through the eastern third of the Point Washington State Forest and Point Washington WMA. Um, Fortunately, that, unfortunately, that road has already been beaten back once before. Fortunately, the Department of Agriculture and the DEP are both opposed to the road. Uh, they've actually thrown seven million dollars in there in restoration, right where they want to throw the, where they want to drive this road. But I just want to encourage anybody listening to this podcast, um, watch out on things like Florida Hunters Network, uh, certainly our BHA page, um, for ways that you'll be able to contact the Walton County Commissioners and. Let them know that you're opposed. It doesn't matter if you live in Key West or Cape Canaveral. That is a state forest, and it belongs to all Floridians. And losing losing that much habitat to save people about eight minutes in a commute is not a fair trade. Yeah, well said. Absolutely. So let's go ahead and get into this. I mean, you know, small game wise, what do you you guys prefer to hunt with a shotgun or a rifle? Well, me. 
like a lot of sportsmen have been around a few years, I've got a lot of a lot of different weapons at my disposal. I'll rarely hunt through the season with the same same gun twice. It'll vary from I've got a 36 caliber flintlock that I built. I've got a couple of vintage uh, Brownings, an A5, an SA22. But if I really need to bring home meat, I've got this 12-gauge uh, Mossberg pump that the efficacy can't be argued with. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I have a actually have a, an old, I don't even remember who makes it, but my grandpa gave it to me a while back, and it's a bolt-action tube-fed 410. Yeah. And I just feel like for squirrels, I can't beat it. Yeah, I've got a single shot uh, 410 that I inherited from my father, and that's that's probably my favorite favorite gun to carry in the woods. Yeah, I love that. Gene? Well, when I first started out, uh, I started out with a 22 rifle, and that's mostly what I shot squirrels with. It's only here recently that I started using a shotgun because of the rules and regulations here at uh, the WMAs. So... But it really doesn't matter. Both of them will get a squirrel. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I feel like for me sometimes the, the squirrels are so high-paced that just, you know, accuracy-wise, a shotgun works out for me best because when they're running, I mean, I can just blow, 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 and they're, you know, you ain't got to, yeah. you know, actually set and aim, and you just point and shoot. Three shots, that's a $10 squirrel these oh, yeah. days. That's <laughs> <laughs> Heck yeah. Jim? I think it depends on the terrain if we're if we're focusing just on squirrels i like the challenge of a 22 um but currently we're trying to stack up squirrels for the 2021 world championship small game cook-off or world championship squirrel cook-off i apologize in bentonville arkansas florida bha is probably going to roll the team up there so just for the I'll say it for the ease and the efficacy. I'm a shotgun man right now. Though I also want to mention that if you had, you limited the answer for Steve to rifle or shotgun. In truth, he's an addle man. <laughs> <laughs> we rolled. Listen, I'd, loved, I'd, I'd love to learn how to use an addle We drove, we drove in his Jeep, which for a relatively small four-wheel drive vehicle, pound for pound is the most capable four-wheel drive I've ever ridden in. Um, all the way to the north woods of Maine. And f primarily we were chasing grouse, but we did have bear tags. Um, so we, drive, we drove all the way up there, and we're all really hoping to knock down a bear. And guys are talking about bringing their 300 wind mag, short mag, etc. Steve, trad bow. <laughs> <laughs> I give you a lot of props for that, though. Well, it's light, you know. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh man. So you know it's it's hard for me to go and you know truly pick a caliber for small game. Um, it all really depends on what I pick for in the morning. Sometimes I go and I sit out there and I walk out and I say, okay, it's a windy day. Well, let's go try to find some ducks or let's go run for rabbits because it's going to be hard to find them squirrels. If it's a real calm day, I'll decide, hey, let's break out the 22 and actually go for squirrels. And, you know, so for my caliber, it, I really got to pick and choose on the day situation on what I'm going to hunt for. I think that's the thing with me with a shotgun is, you know, depending on your choke and everything, 
they could be such a versatile gun because I mean you could shoot ducks with it if you got steel you could shoot squirrels you could shoot rabbits dropping a slug uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> take down a I pig mean, the 22 I, I feel like if you're hunting in a group you got to always have somebody that has a 22 because you got to have that man that can get the distance when you see a squirrel way out there you're like hey you shoot that <laughs> way out there shoot that squirrel don't ask me i'll still miss <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's one thing when i'm when i'm hunting with a 22 that i'm always a little leery of especially with squirrels is i am you are shooting up yeah so i'm i'm likely i would likely never use a 22 personally at a bha event because you know we might have 20 people in the woods and you just don't know where they all are but um on a more light day or if i'm just out alone uh much more apt to use a 22 in that time but I, I really do worry about where those where those rounds go after they leave the barrel yeah because what did it say a 22 will travel how many miles about a mile yeah yeah about a mile i mean that's that's insane it's got to come down somewhere yeah yeah definitely not shoot across the water that's for sure so uh what's your favorite way to enjoy your harvest of a small game Ooh. This year, my daughter-in-law made a uh, a squirrel pot pie with Ooh, a Guinness base. That sounds amazing. That was yeah. Nobody else got any. I, I ate the whole thing. <laughs> that that was. You don't that, regret that it good. one bit, do you? No, I don't. No, I don't. No. But other other than that, I'll usually slow cook them and I'll pick the meat and I, I like to put them in like a, some type of uh, stew or roll up or soup or something. You know, just use them like you would any other pulled meat. I. I think they're pretty versatile, and I've eaten a whole bunch of pot pies and squirrel and dumplings and things like that. Recently, I started experimenting with the idea of aging squirrels. I know it sounds silly, but um, I'll skin them and gut them, but I'll leave them whole, you know, so um, the meat can't really, you know, it goes through the... Uh, rigor mortis mm -hmm. similar to what you you do with a deer and i might leave it that way in the refrigerator for three or four days and then i'll i'll part it out into five pieces and i'll let that age for another three or four days um and i found it believe it or not it it really does make a difference especially if you're going to use it in a recipe where you're just going to braise it down a little bit uh, you don't want it all the way to you don't want it to be so soft that it's going to fall off the bone, but you still want a, a presentable piece of meat that you can use in a dish that you can actually serve to friends who might be hesitant to eat game, and especially if they're hesitant to eat squirrel because they see them running around in their yards. Um, that would It's not really my tip of the week, but um, for the kitchen, for small game hunters, try aging your game. I it's a game say, changer. I, I feel like a lot of people, when you're like, hey, you want to try some squirrels, they're like, uh, squirrel yeah 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 you're like listen they're they're i mean squirrel i i'd have to say probably my favorite thing for squirrel would be squirrel dumplings mm -hmm. and it's just i mean you it's incredible people don't even think about i mean if you were to serve somebody that had never eaten squirrel squirrel dumplings they would be like this is amazing and they would never know it's squirrel my favorite thing to do with a squirrel is uh when I go and clean it, I split it into them five pieces. 
just yeah. <laughs> my favorite thing to do with a squirrel is split it into five pieces because if you go and you drop a whole squirrel on a plate a lot of people turn their nose up to it and then I'll put some like steak seasoning on it and then I'll throw it in the crock pot with some cream and mushroom and I'll just slow cook it and serve it mm-hmm. over yellow rice mm-hmm. and use the cream and mushroom as like a gravy on top yeah, yeah. that sounds good that does that sounds really good I know Jim had what was that uh you had sent one squirrel recipe in the group chat that just sounded amazing. Yeah, it's a Catalan braised squirrel. Oh, God. If you go to the Under Pressure Pod, Under Pressure Outdoors group, That's right. you can find that there. Uh, it's don't, also, just, don't just like it. you got to join that group, actually, to go and view this stuff, I believe. Indeed. If, I've got to give a, a, a shout-out to BHA. You can also find that uh, recipe on bha's uh site on underneath the blogs um again if, if, if prepared right it's it's not just delicious uh it's it's very eye-pleasing and one of the it does form a bit of a stew but where it differs from what most people are used to in stew instead of thickening it with flour you actually thicken it with toasted almonds or hazelnuts garlic and parsley uh, it actually comes out of the uh, the Cotillion or Catalan, I may be mispronouncing that, area of Spain. Um, but I adopted it to, to work with squirrels, and right now that's probably my favorite way to eat them. That sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, so besides the obvious meat, what other parts of small game do you guys harvest? I experimented this, uh, this year with pickling, pickling the hearts. I don't know. I might have to work on my pickling recipe because by the time they were pickled, it was just a chewy piece of meat. You know, I couldn't distinguish it from anything else. Could have been an olive, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've actually put a lot of thought into pickling duck hearts. And I'd I'd really like to try it, but like you said, I just haven't gotten that pickling recipe down. Yeah, yeah. It's going to take some tweaking. Yeah. My favorite thing to do is if we get a big enough harvest is to go ahead and deep fry squirrel heart oh that sounds good yeah they throw a like a cajun style um you know a breading on it and then you go and you deep fry them and when when you get 20 or 30 you can you know make a meal for three or four as long as you do enough right sides and stuff like that it's really good especially for an appetizer yeah yeah do you use a like a dipping sauce for that at all or yeah i go and use kind of like a buffalo a creamy buffalo dipping sauce mm-hmm. for it that really goes with it and when you deep fry those squirrel hearts it it kind of gets like a venison backstrap kind of a uh how do i say it a you know that really tender juicy it, it doesn't dry out very very right, easy right. no hearts uh i find hearts are very reminiscent of beef um both in texture and taste um and also when you're asking about what pieces do you use? Believe it or not, in that in that uh, Catalan that Catalan braised squirrel, one of the things that you can thicken it with is actually the squirrel livers. It takes a few of them because they're all about the size of a, a nickel. And uh, giving props to Adam Steele, one of the his goals this year for that cook-off is to make a pate. So we're going to need an awful lot of squirrels just to harvest enough liver to make six portions of pate i I just had i just had a great idea you could make a squirrel based haggis you should keep the lungs and other sweet meats part you know yeah on on things like birds and jordan you you got a 
dose of that when we were in Texas, man. We knocked down a bird, and you we know, when I'm there, every, it's, it's not done until yeah. it's all done. Necks, hearts, livers, gizzards. I mean, we took yeah. everything off those, but we didn't take the feet. That was about it. The gizzards were probably the hardest thing to process. Yeah, on those they were because they're they're so big, and you got to split them. You talking about cranes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I believe we actually did some geese too on the gizzards. Yeah, we took um. I think we took the gizzards out of just about every bird that we knocked down. With all of us, it was quite a few. You and I spent I mean, almost almost an entire evening breaking <laughs> down the sandhill cranes. Hours. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Uh, there's there's just so much uh, that's a huge part for me too is it like rather than coming out and, and harvesting the animals there is so much that you can use from every animal like you know people think that you just get the meat out of it but there there's so much more to every animal that you can harvest from it than just the meat that's one thing that i hate is uh People normally think of cleaning an animal and all you're doing is pulling the chest meat or, you know, like off a duck. It's just breasting out and that's it. But there's so much more vital meat that they can actually use. And you get into the nitty-gritty and do it. But that is the stuff that people don't want to talk about or face or really deal with is how much cleaning and time it involves. It's not just about the fun of the hunt or anything. You have so much afterwards work to do i think that's that's actually why we took the birds from our texas hunt back is because <clears throat> the, they would have just been breasted otherwise but we could harvest so much you know legs and necks i got crane necks in the freezer i mean we got to harvest so much more from that bird you know taking it back and processing it ourselves yeah oh yeah taking a quick dalliance over into the the big game world a lot of people leave the wobbly bits inside the deer. I mean, some people eat the heart. A few more eat the liver. But what people don't realize is the kidneys are actually fantastic. They're they're wonderful when they're poached in butter. And um, I recently stumbled across a, a recipe from, I think it's Sicily. I think it's called um, penne, penne musca. I'm, I totally mispronounced that. But what it actually is is you take the spleen and the lung. So take one spleen, take a lung, you boil that, then you slice that real thin when it's firm, you season it, and you fry it. And at first that sounds horrible, but then you use a soft cheese and you eat it on a, um, a, chewy, a chewy bun of some kind. It's not just good, it's phenomenal. I yeah. couldn't believe it. I ate that thing figuring that this was going to be a one and done just for curiosity. <laughs> I don't know why we don't eat lungs in the United States, but lung is actually pretty decent when it's deep fried. You're going to well, have nothing like, left in like your... God's meat, though, like, like, like bacon. Here. There's going to be fried. nothing left in your gut pile pretty soon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the, uh, the key. Yeah. So <clears throat> when it comes to squirrel... Are you guys the the like spot and stalk type or sit and wait? I'm a spot and stalk guy because I really like to cover ground. You know, I uh, plus that's when I do a lot of my scouting. Not that that, that helps me much, <laughs> but um, no, I'll I uh, 
sometimes I'll come out and I'll just I'll, I'll do like five, six, seven miles. You know, just get exploring, absolutely looking around, you're making a big loop, come back around. I don't have the patience to sit too long in one <laughs> spot. <laughs> Only when I'm resting, you know. I don't either. <laughs> Definitely spot and stalk. Um, the once I get once I get on the squirrels, I, I they seem to be patchy. And so if I knock down a squirrel, I'll spend several minutes sitting there, uh, especially if you find it in a nut tree or something like that, because they just they just seem to come. You can knock one or two down, and they'll scatter. And if you sit still for another fifteen minutes, apparently they've got you know some pretty short memories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. See, I, I've definitely found it, and I told several people in the Seminole Forest hunt that where there's one, there's more. Yeah. Oh, you know, you're walking past them. Yeah. You know, for every one you see, there's probably 15 or 20 that you didn't even know were there. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'm a spot and stock person myself, like like Steve. You know, as much as I love squirrel hunting, I use a lot of squirrel hunting to do my scouting. Mm-hmm. Because that's that's the time that you really get to go and walk around those WMAs and just spend that time and look for more and more and more. Well, uh, sit and wait. <laughs> I'm going to be different. Uh, how about when you were younger, Gene? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Had no patience. Uh, it's only when I got older. Uh, yeah. But uh, at the Seminole uh, hunt uh, a couple weeks ago, I actually found a good area. Jim uh, put me on a good area, and I got all my squirrels within... Uh, I didn't hardly have to move. The yeah. only thing I had to move was my shotgun. <laughs> and uh, so, but ended up getting four uh, pretty quick. But uh, just just waiting. That's the biggest thing. Just wait and be as quiet as you can. They'll start moving. Yeah, you know, I can see that in, in deer hunting too. Because, like, I go out to the deer stand and I sit looking for deer and I'll see 30 squirrels. Yeah, yeah. And you're literally just sitting there, you know, waiting. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Gene, you told us earlier that you've just gotten back into hunting. So let's let's hear the story of that. Well, as a kid, uh, my dad always took us hunting. Uh, mostly duck hunting and dove hunting. But uh, then when I uh, finally got grown and uh, decided to have a family, I had to support them. So, my job just took me away from home quite a bit, and uh, so for about 34 years, all I did was travel. And uh, but finally, about four years ago, I retired. And uh, getting to know Jim, uh, he put me back into hunting. Uh, I didn't realize how many places they were to hunt in Florida that uh, you were allowed to hunt on. So, I'm really thankful. Yeah, it's it's amazing how much public land Florida has that you can have access to. You know, now that yeah. I think about it, I didn't mean to step on you there, Gene. It dawns on me that the, f- the first place I met Steve was out at Upper Hillsboro. Mm-hmm. But where I really got to know you was on that Swanee River 50 mile canoe trip that yeah, we did right. and that's where you 
That's if where I'm I met mistaken, Gene. That's where you. That was kind of your first foray back into it. I, and here we are all together again. So. I know. I can remember. Uh, uh, I just retired, and uh, Jim says, "You want to paddle down the Swanee River?" <laughs> and uh, I said, "No, I don't think so." <laughs> so I went home, and the more I thought about it, the more I said, "Well, I'd like to do that." And uh, so I called Jim up and said, "Put me in." I said, "I'll I'll do it." So, but that first trip. Two days was paddling in solid rain. <laughs> but yeah, it was nonstop. So you he, couldn't have got wetter if you'd yeah. gotten on the boat. He yep. suckered you into it. He did. Oh, it was a and blast, though. It was I so did fun. get wetter. Uh, Jim had hung into a little small bass and got tangled up. So I paddled my kayak over there. And just as I reached down to grab the bass, he started to get off. I reached a little further. And overcome the kayak. <laughs> so, luckily, we were in deep, deep water. Yeah. So, you know, I've actually had a couple people reach out and ask if we were going to do that Swanee River trip again. Mm -hmm. um, I'm kind of putting both of you on the spot. Is that something you guys might be interested in doing again this May? But I'm already packed. Uh, <laughs> I'm already packed. Yeah. Yeah. Ready to go. I'm ready to go. You know, we'll uh, we'll reach out to them to pressure guys to help us advertise this. But uh, if you're hearing this, we're probably going to run. A three or four day trip. I don't know if we're going to go five, but we'll probably do 30 or 40 miles. I would estimate sometime mid-May down the Suwannee River. And if you've never done it, it's a fantastic trip. It's the last, in fact, I think it might be the last wild river in the southeast of its length that doesn't have a dam on it. And if we're lucky, we'll see... Um, sturgeon. Sturgeon. And if you haven't seen a seven-foot fish levitate out of the water at point blank from your canoe, it'll... It'll test you. <laughs> It'll wake you up. It's not fun. <laughs> so, what type of areas do you guys look for? You know, when you're looking for squirrel, I'm usually like uh, not an oak hammock. Like you get one of those real pretty parklands with the great big trees. Usually, not so much. I, I always look for kind of a, a bottom land with a mix of palms and oaks and some other hardwoods. You know, hickories. And they'll they'll be in there, you know. If the trees are too tall, sometimes you can't reach them, or they just don't seem to like them. Oh yeah. I really feel like I when when it comes to squirrels for me, I want to get down into just the nitty gritty, wet bottom with the palms at least, because you know I, I when it comes to small game, I've primarily focused on Seminole Forest, and when it comes to Seminole Forest, I feel like where there's palms. There's squirrels. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, man. And the, and the palm tree, I, I do quite a bit of small game hunting in Georgia as well, and they don't have the palms. So you have to listen to for skittering or just that slight noise when they jump from branch to branch. But, man, down here, when those squirrels hit those palm trees, you can be 100 yards away, and it's just whack, and you're like, I know what that was. And it's like they're doing it on purpose. You know, they're seeing how much noise they can make. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Of course, if you if you shoot one in a palm tree, you just you just wasted a shotgun shot as well as a squirrel because it's never coming out. There, there are a lot of times <laughs> I've, I've passed up a shot on a squirrel because you know yeah. get it. I'm not climbing up that palm tree to get them. Yeah. The worst thing about squirrel hunting, if you ask me, is, you see them through these neighborhoods and these parks and you see so many of them they're jumping in front of you and then you start walking through the woods and 
even if you hear them in the palm trees jumping and you go to search for them they they are some hiding little critters you know they're they they're can, they can to, flatten out yeah they, they can flat. flat out and you you see them all around when you're driving or when you're walking in a neighborhood or you're at a park or something they're everywhere and you come out here and you're like man this is not as easy as i expected it to be oh yeah 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 no you're right that's one of the criticisms sometimes my neighbors i've got some neighbors that will not eat at my house <laughs> I, I could show them i could show them the purdue chicken package and they still won't eat because they're convinced i'm sneaking bobcat or raccoon on them but they'll, they'll ask like why do you hunt squirrels because i see them in their yard and they have no idea that there is an enormous difference between the yard dwelling squirrel and the swamp dwelling squirrel um and about 100 miles an hour <laughs> oh yeah yeah no, they're 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 vicious creatures. My my son and I, a couple <laughs> <Vicious>. <laughs> a couple couple weeks ago, uh, we went to a spot which I'll take the 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 location I'll take to the grave with me. But we had well, we not call left that uh, Skeeter Pond. Yeah, we had not left the car. We got out of the vehicle. We'd not walked very far, and all of a sudden, there were like ten squirrels right there. But what was going on? Two of them were having a fight to the death. <laughs> And that's why they were, I mean, they were going at it up in the top of this tree. And eventually, I mean, we were, we were trying to, like, should we shoot one? And we're like, you know, they're, they're like everywhere. We're looking all over. We're like confused about it because there's so many. And that one squirrel actually threw that other squirrel out of the tree. And he probably fell 35, 40 feet. Jeez. And he hit the ground, sound like a, like a baked potato hitting a concrete. <laughs> <laughs> and he got up, shook that off, and ran off. And as soon as that was gone, we didn't see another squirrel. Those ten squirrels just were gone. Wow. <laughs> but man, you know, no. If a squirrel weighed ten pounds, you'd have to carry a Magnum rifle after him. You know. <laughs> yeah. Oh heck yeah, man! I'm glad those things are small because <laughs> if they were the size of a small dog, it'd be the other way around. Oh, yeah. 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 You wouldn't be sending your kids out alone. That's for sure. He'd be dragging <laughs> you up the tree. Yeah. <laughs> Gene, what do you look for when you? Well, like someone else had said, uh, got to be some kind of a stream or swampy area, and uh, plenty of oak trees, and uh, mostly areas that not many people have hunted. Uh, you sort of got to get really back in the woods. So, yeah, I know that was like Jim, that guy that had that boat killed what? Fifteen. Fifteen. No. Yeah, fifteen. I think. think he yeah. got, that's the limit. I think he. he that's that's just insane. I yeah. had thought about the day before too. I was like, man, I should bring my boat out there, and then never did it, or my my canoe, and never did it, and then that guy killed like fifteen. I was like, son of a gun! <laughs> I knew I should have done it. So, what do you guys find the most challenging part of squirrel hunting? Mm. Cleaning them. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah I have <laughs> probably cleaning them. Yeah, I have. I've tried all the methods the the tail method which works great if you're sh if you're hitting them with a 22 and you're not tearing the body up at all that'll work pretty well um but lately i've been doing the where you dip them in the water i've found that that works pretty well you know with a good good pair of game shears yeah you can skin them up pretty quick like that and i've always used cut them around the belly mm -hmm. and then pull it either way but like you said when i mean when you get one that's good and tore up you go to pull it yeah. pull it apart and you just end up pulling squirrel apart yeah yeah and then you got to fight to get all the skin no, off that's of that's it. what i'm doing now is i go around the i circle around the body but i did you dip them in water first and it keeps a lot of the hair off it 
counterintuitive. Huh. You wouldn't think it does, but keeps a lot I, of hair. I'd believe it. 100%. Do you, do you scald them or is it just wet? No, just, just cold water. Just soak them down. Just, just a bucket of water. Hmm. Just get them wet. Hmm. Just keeps it from being so fuzzy so it don't get everywhere. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's... Yeah, because once the, you get it and... Um, because, man, I've tried a lot of different methods. I, I've eaten a lot of squirrel hair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's working pretty well for me for right now. Yeah. That's I've, like with, with waterfowl, you know, when you try to pluck one, like I know Jim told me on the on the crane hunt, he's like, you just take you a good like little propane torch and just sear the hairs mm-hmm. off before we ever cook it. Yeah. All right. When it comes to anything that I have, like especially squirrels, I've finally gotten it down to an assembly line method. And another pro tip, if you're going to hunt squirrels, get yourself, pe- get yourself a pair of good sturdy game shears. So what I will do is if I've got 10 squirrels, I'll clip all 10 tails off. And then I'll go clip the feet off of all 10 squirrels. And then I'll take a knife and I'll start with an incision in the back on all 10 squirrels. And then I'll peel all 10 squirrels using the pants and shirt method that we were just talking about and then after i've got all of them peeled take the heads off all 10 squirrels and then gut all 10 squirrels and i found that by doing it that way as opposed to trying to process one whole squirrel at a time it's faster and it also keeps the hair down so now i have learned that i've got to add a bucket of water to my process man that's a that's a pro tip right there <laughs> dip all 10 squirrels yeah yeah that looked like a really good idea jim uh with the shears so i, I was really paying attention that day so what piece of knowledge or equipment i know we just talked about the shears but has helped y'all and your overall success from the hunt itself not just cleaning the squirrel good pair of binos yeah. Yeah, good pair of binos. Well, not only, you know, if there's nothing going on, you can look at stuff, you know, see all that kind of stuff. But a lot of times you'll you'll know that squirrel is in that tree. And if you spend enough time looking in that tree, you'll eventually find it. Yeah. You know, like I said, they can lay down flat. I, I was going to say, because to, yeah. to the naked eye, that squirrel, like you said, can lay flat and you will just never, never see, see it. Never see it. But you you know he's up there somewhere. Yeah, you can find him. Good pair of binos. Absolutely. Cell phone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Cell phone. <laughs> whenever... It doesn't matter where I'm hunting or what I'm hunting. Even if I'm with a guide um, out in, say, West Texas for cranes, out in some wide open field, I like to mark where I hunt. But um, if you take a look at my cell phone throughout Florida now, if you just pull it up, and Jordan, I think I showed it to you, man. The, the place looks like a pin cushion. If I caught a fish there, I got a pin on it. If I shot a squirrel there, I got a pin on it. But uh, I can tell you, we're out here at Lake Panasofsky, I got a couple of pins, and tomorrow morning, I know exactly where I'm going. <laughs> so I'll start there, and then I'll go find some other places and hopefully populate my phone with some more pins. And then if I can get a give a nod to Onyx, um, I've actually started using that more because now it's not just a pin where I have to look it up and say, well, what, what did I get over here? Onyx actually has a whole bunch of different critters. So if you got a squirrel, you can actually put a squirrel on there, if it was a moose or if it was sign or if it was tracks. Um, so the cell phone and the technology around the cell phone both from being able to keep a record of what you've got going on. And then also, um, I, although I, I don't go in the woods without a compass because these things fail, um, just the, the Google Maps app where you can tell exactly where you are. And, you know, when you feel like you're 
heading east, it turns out you're heading west because there's no sun. And then you think that you're 100 yards from the trail and you're actually 10 feet from the trail, but you can't see it because everything in Florida bites and stings and is really thick. The, the cell phone has taken all of the apprehension, and I think that's a really useful tool for new hunters that are um, there. They're worried about getting lost. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, my biggest uh, tool of the trade uh, come about two weeks ago when Jim sent me a picture of a rattlesnake <laughs> that he had to shoot. And uh, he said that the snake actually struck his boot. Yeah. Well, the very next day, I was out buying a new pair of snake boots. <laughs> and uh, if you're looking down all the time, you can't look up at the squirrels. So... That's really made a big difference. Uh, a good pair of uh, rubber boots. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't care what time of year it is in the state of Florida, and I'm in Georgia a lot too. I always wear my snake boots. Yeah. It's just, it's not worth the risk to me, honestly. Yeah, I I really didn't want to buy a pair of gaiters and boots, also, so. I just bought the boots that were snake-proof, and uh, it's working out real well. Absolutely. So what do you guys find the most challenging part of squirrel hunting? Man, I don't know. Um, I think that's where we got into cleaning them, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think we're, we're going to do round two on that one. Yeah. <laughs> Find, finding them is also the challenge, you know. I mean, yeah. You come I, into a new piece of property and finding those hammocks is the challenge. But yeah. again, going back to the cell phone, even that makes it easier. Yeah. Go ahead, Steve. Sorry about that. Yeah, no, no, that's, a, that's what I was going to say. You know, just, uh, yeah. Absolutely. I think uh, To me, coming into new areas, the habitat. Mm-hmm. I mean, because you, I mean, from Seminole Forest to Lake Penasofsky, like, that could completely change where they hang out just from the area itself. Yeah, and you know what's a lot of times you're, you're you're driving down one of these WMA roads or whatever, and you're, you've never been there before, and you go, man, that looks like a great spot. And you park, you walk a hundred yards in, and then it turns into scrub, you know, and there's nothing there. So you gotta you gotta get boots on the ground. You know, you, sometimes you know just looking at satellite imagery, yeah. kind of give you an idea, but it it all looks the same. Yeah, yeah. that that internet scouting doesn't always work out like you hope it does. <laughs> you know, we're really focusing a lot on squirrels. We're not chatting much about rabbits and had I thought about it, I'd have insisted that um, Florida's greatest rabbit hunter, Cameron Gordon, was here. Uh, that guy's got a nose for rabbits. That's uncanny. But I think that his, I don't want to give all the secrets away, but one, I think, when you're in the WMAs, if you're interested in rabbits, just get out early. Um, and don't be in a hurry to get where you're going. Creep down the roads. Uh, it'd really help if you've got a guy in the passenger seat with a set of binoculars out looking in front of you, looking for the rabbits that are just on the side of the road, because they will hold. You know, so if you don't have a dog, um, to me, rabbit, although I like squirrels, um, I'll walk right past a bunch of squirrels to get at a rabbit. I think rabbits in Florida probably the top small game animal. Well, uh, if, you, if you exclude avian stuff, I mean, grouse are fantastic, yeah. but, or not grouse, uh, coil and ducks but um getting after the rabbits is, is a patient game um and i think that cameron if you ever run into him spend an hour with cameron and he'll increase your rabbit game tenfold yeah 
You know, I think another thing to small game too, me for me is snipe. Oh yeah. God, I just love you know, I me and me and Matt have spent quite a bit of time snipe hunting and I just Probably too much together. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's just snipe hunt's just a blast and golly do they eat good. Well last year we spent quite a bit of time snipe hunting together training our dogs. Yeah. It, it works as a great training tool for no, I've never dogs. been snipe hunting. I'm going to give that a shot. So I'm going to give another tip that some snipe hunters are going to cringe at. But when you're out on those um, prairie-style WMAs, back to the cell phone, go to Google Maps, and look for those little hydro hammocks, and be ready. Uh, you want to find just a little bit of water in them. They can't be dry, and they also can't be six inches. Oh, there can't be six inches of water in them, but people are usually looking for river bottoms and floodplains and things like that. But those hydro hammocks will hold some snipe. And um, last week at Three Lakes, uh, or two weeks ago at Three Lakes, uh, Brown Irish got one on his first shot. A guy named Kevin got one on his first shot. I got one on my 13th shot. <laughs> <laughs> so, but the point. The point aside from my terrible marksmanship is uh, I got a chance to shoot at 13 snipe. <laughs> <laughs> shoot at? So how many did you manage to take down? Hey. On the day, I think I got three. Um, yeah, I got three. Unfortunately, I, I tumbled one into some deep stuff, and uh, it was right after the dog left. And we, three, three of us, looked in there for 20 minutes to find this. I mean, you know, a snipe is only four inches long oh, yeah. and they but are we were, we were looking at it like it was the uh the treasure of the sierra madre you yeah know? <laughs> after, they felt bad for me after going through a box of shotgun shells to knock them down <laughs> i can't tell you how many times i've turned around and talked to uneducated hunters or a new person that i wanted to take out and introduce into hunting and we would say oh yeah i got the boat hooked up come on let's go snipe hunting they looked at me like i was crazy just like no those things don't exist i'm, uh, I'm not falling for that one yeah. <laughs> that's funny yeah a lot of people think they're just going to get left in the woods somewhere <laughs> <laughs> so um what kind of weather do you guys look for what is your favorite weather to hunt for squirrels in man i'll go anytime as long as it's not real windy you know if it's real windy I mean, I don't think the rain bothers them much. You know, if it's just a, like a light rain drizzle, doesn't seem to bother them much. But if it's real breezy, they won't be out. Bitter cold will lock them down too. Yeah, yeah. You, if it gets under forty, well, if it starts out under forty, but then they'll just move late. I think we noticed that at, at yes. Seminole, and we weren't really we started picking up trash in Ocala before we really got serious about them last week. But um, yeah, it's got to be I'd say over forty and not windy. Mm -hmm. Other than that, you're good to go. Oh, yeah, so I, I think it's best. I've always found best that when, if you got a good cold, because you know most of us work during the week, but and except for you geezers that are retired, <laughs> y'all are fortunate enough to be able to hunt whenever you want. But uh, for me, it's you know if I can get a good cold, real cold week, and then you know that first day I get to hunt, if it kind of warms up a little mm -hmm. bit, I like just, tomorrow, yeah, <laughs> like tomorrow <laughs> yeah. or today, yeah. yeah, you could just slam them overcast seems to help too do you guys notice that that if it's really bright and sunny that sometimes they're not out and i wonder if that's because they're easier pickings for just more yeah everything else, else, eats everything else eats them, yeah mm -hmm. they're harder to spot though like I've, I've taken every now and then if it's you know those overcast days and 
there's no definition in the woods. Mm-hmm. You know, everything's the same color. It's gray. There's no depth perception. A pair of yellow glasses will huh. really, will really help. Oh man, I never thought about that. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, yeah I was after to try that out. Man, the pro tips were throwing down here. <laughs> yeah. I've been hunting squirrels since I was 12, and I'm learning things like buckets of water, yellow glasses. on. Where was this 25 years ago? (laughs) So let's hear some of y'all's favorite stories from your small game hunts. Oh, man, my small game hunts are all pretty uneventful. Oh, I've got one. This was was from my youth back before... uh, back before you know GPS's and you know and cell phones and all that kind of stuff, I'd gone out to a place that I had gone to many many times up in Michigan, a place called the Yellow Dog Plains. I was grouse hunting, and I had gotten a little bit turned around, but I kind of knew where I was at. So eventually, I got back to where my car was, and at the time, I was driving a, a yellow VW thing. My so, mom wants one yeah. so bad. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was like the it was old you know it was older then too and so the paint was all faded just real light yellow, and it had this black top, and it wasn't a it wasn't any light it, you know I got got back near where my car was after dark. I knew that car was nearby somewhere. I could not find it. it was uh, bright I, yellow. <laughs> and it was well the same color as the grass you know and it was you know you're talking about grass it's like almost up to your hips, oh. and um. So I wandered around for a while, wandered around for a while. I didn't have a light with me or anything. So I found a down log, built the fire, ate some squirrels, stuffed a bunch of leaves in between my shirt. I got down in the 40s that night. I slept there all night. Sun came up. My car was like 100 yards away from me. <laughs> <laughs> it was like right there. We just couldn't find it in the dark. Son of a gun. Mm-hmm. Gene, you got something for us? Yes. Um, back when uh, I was a lot younger... I can remember growing up. Uh, I remember the first wood duck I ever shot. And uh, we had a black lab, and she uh, went in and pulled him out, brought him right to me, just like a pitcher. Yeah. But then I started feeling bad after I shot the wood duck because how beautiful they were. (laughs) So I'm just glad we don't have a lot of mandarin ducks around. Because <laughs> I surely wouldn't want to shoot one of those. I, I tell you what, they are beautiful, but I sure would love to have one on the wall. Oh yes. Apparently, I don't know if some got blown off of Africa, but they're popping up. I don't know a guy knocked one down somewhere here in Florida. Not long I was saying, I, I think I've seen five or six of them on Facebook this year well, that have knocked down. That's because um, there's new people on Facebook in different places where you can actually buy their eggs and hatch them as a uh, pet duck. But then these people are having them, like, fly away, and they're not being able to take care of them. They're relocating them, and it's kind of turned into an invasive species. Oh, uh, well, I don't, I, we could hijack a whole podcast on invasive species. But I, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, we'll have to save that for another yeah. time. <laughs> um, I don't really have a overly comical story. In fact, it's just the other way, just the opposite. That trip this year... When we went to the North Main Woods, well, what was common calls? I was fighting a heel spur. I could barely move, and I'm watching Steve bebop down this old mountainside that's just fraught with all kinds of logs and things like that, like it was nobody's business, and I'm clumping down there. But at one point, we stopped to rest, and um, and Steve was telling me about this, um, that he had just been there, and and unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to see it, but... Um, 
he had been sitting there by himself, and I guess I'm, this really ought to be your yeah, story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that, yeah. And um, popped up out of nowhere, um, cow moose. And a calf. And a calf. And he said that he just kind of drifted away. But what was kind of interesting about that is I started to tell that story is I remember in that moment where we were, as pretty as it was, um, and the way that you told the story was so powerful that in my mind's eye, um, it took me a second also to realize, wait a second, I didn't actually see that moose. <laughs> so maybe that is kind of funny, but um, we did see, we did run into moose that on that same, on a, on a different mountain. I was, uh, I'm a little husky fella that most people would not expect to see coming down a mountain or if they were below me, they'd run. Um, I was making some noise coming down this thing, as you can imagine. And as I was breaking branches on the way down the mountain, I could hear something big breaking branches coming up the mountain. And I thought it might be a moose. And then sure enough, um, I stopped and there was a uh, little red squirrel that was chirping at me. And um, then I heard it coming up the mountain again. And I, I got probably within 25 feet of a full-grown bull moose that we're pretty sure... We actually saw it get harvested a day or two later. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Mm-hmm. On the side of the road. Monster. Yeah, that was a that was a that was a great shot for that guy. I mean, it was on the shoulder of the road. <laughs> oh no, I think yeah. they dragged that out with a winch. It yeah. could have been, but you know, yeah. when you when you tell people that you got twenty feet from a big bull moose, um, and it took off before I could get my camera out, there's no way to verify it, and it's like you're almost hesitant to say that you saw it because they're kind of ethereal for as big as they are. But I was actually it, it, sad to see it gone. But I was like, I told you there was a moose there. <laughs> when, when, you know, when all that noise he was making coming up, how much noise did he make after he decided to leave? Oh, well, a lot. When when um, the reason I didn't get a picture of the moose is trying to fish out my cell phone. He 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 saw the mo- the, yeah. the movement and um, and decided to get out of dodge quick. And considering they've got, I don't know. Five feet of antlers. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think. Well, actually, tip to tip, they're probably six feet of antlers. Yeah, that shed and, I found is you know well, what, three feet long. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I forgot you found the shed. But I was the stuff that it was moving through was really thick. I mean, it was uh, this whole big stand of uh, I don't know exactly what kind of tree it was, but these one inch saplings, like alders. Yeah, yeah really alders. dense, and it pushed through those things loudly, but. Uninhibited, just yeah. gone. Effortlessly. Yeah, that yeah. cow and calf didn't make a sound. That not didn't make a sound. So, my story is, I was over at Small Game, uh, hunting over in Seminole Forest, uh, probably about seven years ago when I first got into it, and I was in this big old manual monster truck, basically, and it was super windy, so I brought my 12 gauge out because I was going to go scout for ducks, and. Like you said, I was just creeping down one of them roads and I seen a rabbit and I got so excited because I've never seen a rabbit out there. Well, I jumped out of this truck. I shut it off and jumped out and it was still in neutral. (laughs) 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 This truck went rolling back, destroyed my tailgate and my bumper on a pine tree. But I jumped out and shot the first rabbit. Another one ran out and missed the first shot. I slammed it on the second shot and it rolled and 
I walked up there all giddy and happy, and I picked up that first rabbit, and I was walking over to that second rabbit. Next thing I know, Bobcat ran out and stole that second rabbit from me and oh, wow. tore off through them brush. That's wow. a great story. <laughs> so I think probably one that I tell just about anybody that asks, you know, would you eat this? Or when it comes down to small game hunting is Will and I, geez, Will, Will had to have been 16 or 17 so it would have put me at 12 or 13. And uh, it was our first year, one of our first years, we had hunted at Seminole Forest for small game. And we had shot absolutely nothing but a possum. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there are some, what is that? I, I don't know what nationality are there, but there, there are some, you know, Asian people out there that just i mean absolutely waylay the squirrels every year i believe they're vietnamese but yeah, yeah. i have the vietnamese guys at my shop and yeah. they they go out and do their own small game hunt and they do very very successful yeah. so we we had we were making our way kind of back to the front and they were cooking up some squirrels and it was somewhere around lunchtime and uh we were like dang we are hungry and the only thing we had in the back of the truck was that possum. <laughs> so we took it down to one of the campsites. And like you had said, we were squirrels. We dipped it in the river yeah. to keep the hair down on it and skinned it out. No seasoning or anything. Just cooked it over the fire and ate the possum. So when people tell me, they're like, would you eat this? I'm like, listen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I have eaten... A unseasoned possum. <laughs> I will tell you right now that <laughs> there is nothing I will not try at least once. <laughs> and when you think about it, there's all this push towards um, veganism and vegetarianism. Um, you know, as a hunter, I, I really actually do appreciate that because that takes an enormous amount of discipline, and that's that's not me. But when you kind of look out across the landscape, with when you think about animals, there's there's not a lot you can't eat. There's like a couple of fish and a couple of frogs. You know, like the was the blowfish liver or something like that. Yeah. You eat that and yeah. paralyze you. And, you, know, you can get ciguatera and there's a frog or something if you touch it. Other than that, it's all chicken. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So, some might have a little more of an off-putting taste than another. But then let's flip that around. Let's talk about plants, right? Uh, probably within 35 feet of this picnic table there's at least 100 species that if you ingest it it's your last meal <laughs> right? we, we really celebrate with all of a sudden like who's the first guy that ate a tomato yeah <laughs> <laughs> i imagine they were trying to kill that fellow yeah, like, how many <laughs> other things did they have to eat before they found the tomato yeah. to find out that it was <laughs> deadly yeah there's um I, I i've i've heard very compelling arguments where people will try to convince me that we're really not supposed to eat meat, and maybe we weren't knocking down mammoths in our earliest form or things like that. And maybe we were just eating frogs and things, but I am quite certain that we were not making a living just on vegetable matter. No, absolutely not. Jim, you got a story for us, or? No. Uh, my mind just went blank all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's the age. Uh, you know, it's terrible because when you get Gene one-on-one -on -one and he's comfortable, this man can spin a yarn. Yeah. yeah. Mm. 
I can believe it. Just just from hearing him, the little bit that he's talked, I can believe that yeah. you can get some serious stuff out of Gene. Well, my dad always did tell me back in the day, you know, a wise man is a man of few words. Does that well, come with age, Gene? Or? <laughs> <laughs> so I'll, I'll give you a little Gene story that, um, you know, you hear people say that they give you the shirt off their back. But in my experience, um, Gene is genuinely probably the most generous, just just natural. It just oozes out of him. Um, yeah, every time I, it almost makes me feel bad. Like bebopping through life and running to Gene, and all of a sudden he's like, "Here, here's some peppers, or you know, here's a gift certificate, or um, somebody has a question about fabricating something, and just flows with the knowledge." Um, so, and I think that that's something I am trying to be more like you, where I, I think about um, just sharing with people and thinking in advance about how can I improve this guy's day with just uh, I don't know, package peppers, you know, and and it works, man. I'm, I'm truly grateful to be your friend, and uh, and that's an influence that you're having on me. So, you know, I hope somebody out here is listening and well, and will emulate that. Thank you very much. Yeah, I appreciate Jim, that. Jim has informed me that you grow some of the finest peppers. Undoubtedly, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I finally, um, last week, uh, uh, Jim uh, cooked some up for me. And uh, Yeah, they were great. I had Thank no you. idea they'd taste that good. Because, yeah, I was growing them, and I was giving them away. Uh, seemed like a... I'd get a whole bunch of them about every two weeks, and and I'd see Jim and give them to him. I want to see this tree because you tell me you've only got one bush. As one far bush. As, the thing's got to be thirty-five feet tall. <laughs> the peppers you're giving me, but as a for all you fellas out there, they're making jalapeno poppers. They're good, but I'm telling you, the key is not the jalapeno; it's the serrano pepper. This man serrano. has converted me over. The yeah. serrano pepper is the. It's ultimate. a mild Mexican pepper. I'm going to have to find me a bush and grow me some. Yeah. Uh, they're good. Well, next year it's going to be more than one bush yeah. I'm going to grow. He's going into business. Yeah. <laughs> He's going to start him a whole orchard. But, uh, yeah, I have a grow box. Uh, it's um, a planter type deal that's sort of self-efficient. Uh, once you put the fertilizer in uh, and plant them, all you have to do is uh, add water. It has a reservoir. And you can't overwater it because um, it's got a little hole in the bottom, and you just fill it every couple of days, and so it's not hard to grow, and nice. uh, the benefits are great. So when did y'all, like, what got y'all to start small game hunting? Oh man, well I've been hunting my whole life. You know, my dad took me all the time when I was little. Uh, then. Uh, you know, like, like Jim was saying, life gets in the way. You quit for a while, come back to it. You know, work gets in the way, come back to it. And then when I ended up here in Florida, it took me a while to figure out the whole WMA system and things like that. But I would say the past 10, 15 years, I've been at it pretty steady. Yeah. And so, yeah, I just kind of grew up doing it. I think small games, honestly, is something that a lot of people miss. When it comes to hunting, you're like, oh, man, hunting season's over. You know, I can't hunt deer, can't hunt ducks. But small game is just something that, honestly, if you put the time into it, you can get so much bounty 
out of that small game. I, I was laughing. I was telling Jim's story the other day. You know, I, I hang out in the green swamp a lot. And it's general gun season lasts a long time there. And I know guys kill deer out there in green swamp. I could count the number of deer I've seen on one hand and have three fingers left over, you know, out there. <clears throat> but I was out there um, small game hunting during general gun. Every now and then you run into somebody, they're upset because you're out there walking around, you know, shooting squirrels and you know they're sitting in a stand somewhere i'm not anywhere near them or whatever I said, well, you know, hey you want to take a couple squirrels so you don't go home empty-handed you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah they're all they're plentiful for yeah. sure yeah has, has anybody ever shot a fox squirrel i in the state of georgia i have have you yes sir my, my father always told me he says they're so rare and so beautiful that let them live you know just said but that's just something he told me and i have seen a lot of them well out camping and different things but they're they're uh unbelievable they are beautiful yeah it's the last year at the walking water as i was leaving there i saw a richardson squirrel i couldn't believe it. i thought it was a cat at first (laughs) it wasn't wasn't at walking water it was on this you know somebody's yard as we were driving i thought what is that it's a richardson squirrel Wow. You know, that one of the greatest things, and what keeps drawing me back to small game, is really the camaraderie. The, I, I love big game hunting, and I, don't, I like going out west and chasing antelope. Um, that's another one that you could actually do in, in pairs because they're so far away and you got to walk so much. But the, the real camaraderie, if you listen to some of the stories we've talked about today, they're almost always done with other people. Squirrel hunting with Gene or grouse hunting with Steve. And one of the, I can't believe we haven't mentioned this, but probably one of the most festive hunting activities that is done ritualistically here in the South is doves. And yeah. dove is what, you know, I noodled around, well, I, as a kid, um, knocking down squirrels, rabbits, and woodchucks uh, with some friends. Um, but then drifted away from it really spent a lot of time scuba diving spearfishing and lobstering and i i don't even i didn't consciously drift away from traditional hunting but i I did and it was a gentleman named kevin callahan no kevin well also i can't remember kevin's last name one kevin copeland one day asked me if i wanted to go dove hunting and i was like yeah and i'd probably not hunted anything in um you know, that wasn't in the water probably in like 15 years. Man, um, apparently hunting is a progressive disease because since that time, and th- that's almost, this is this is easily 15, almost 20 years ago that that dove hunt happened. But since that time, I have been eight up with it. So the, the camaraderie, the ease of access, the ability to bring somebody new into the sport, um, and teach them the basics of processing, cooking. It's all really, it all really plays well with the strengths of small game. Um, a lot of people want to knock down a deer, but unless they are, are lucky enough to know somebody that has a lease and is going to put them in a stand, it's not necessarily hunting. It's more just you sat there. The other guy already did all the work. Yeah. You know, because any rookie hunter that just wanders out in a WMA also realizes it's not as easy as it looks on television. But small game, you get that opportunity to have success early on yeah. and start to practice. And, you know, even like we said earlier, small game gives you an opportunity to put 
boots on the ground. Yep. And and because Florida has so many draws that you can put in each year, you know. I know, I know some of the places that we've hunted. I've gone out in small game hunted and was like, I'm putting in here next year. <laughs> yeah. Next year, I'm hunting here. Deer season. If I draw this, you know, I've got this area set. So yeah, how many how many places in Seminole Forest? And we were out there a couple of weeks ago. Like, there's a wood duck right there. You know, drop drop pin on that hole. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was, um, and and I know you've been running around there your whole life, but even then, we still got into some areas that I don't think you were familiar with. That other place where we saw the Merganser and absolutely, yeah, and uh, pointed out some pretty obvious reasons why if you do draw a deer tag in there, I already know where you're going to put a stand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Same place I'll have when we yeah. look at each other. Yeah. Um, yeah, because we were out there scouting small game or hunting small game and learning about the woods. Yeah, I can't tell you how many just absolute cattle trails I came across out there, small game, and I'm like, Jesus, like I gotta have a climber or yeah. something yeah. here <laughs> if I draw a tag for this place. Yeah. yeah, and right now, another pro tip: there are some WMAs out there that are known for their turkeys, and. Right now, you can be out there hunting squirrels, and at the same time, scouting turkeys. You're scouting tur- turkeys. Turkey season's coming out. Remember, I saw those ten squirrels. Well, we <laughs> yeah. were we were really distracted because there were a couple of turkeys there. That th- those two turkeys turned into a flock of about twenty. Oh wow! Like I said, <laughs> taking that location to the grave. Yeah, I can understand why. <laughs> yeah. I had to blindfold my son and walk him out of there. <laughs> <laughs> like you got in here, but you don't yeah, know how to get out. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Spun them around three or four times. <laughs> so, what keeps you guys coming coming back to small game hunting? Well, I think Jim hit hit all the the points right there. It's uh, sorry. Yeah, that's a, no, no. It's <laughs> no. Uh, you know, it's uh, you can do it on the spur of the moment. You know, you got time. Yeah. Uh, you know, you wake up and go now. Now I'll go after all. You know, I'm gonna go after all. I get now. Hit it in the middle of the day. You know, yeah. but it's it's not a huge commitment. You know, deer hunting. You know, it's like, oh, I got to get all the stuff out there. I got to drag a stand out. You know, or you don't have to. You can hunt on the ground, but you might as well not go, you know, yeah. <laughs> depending on where you're going. Um, it, it's just, and there's a high likelihood of success. Absolutely. You know, you get you get skunk now and then, you know, and it's not unusual, but every now and then you're walking out, you know, you can't hold your pants up because you've got, <laughs> you know, you got a safety pin with, you know, half a dozen squirrels hanging there. You know, and you're just man. Oh man, I hope I run into somebody on the way back to the car, man. I, <laughs> <laughs> I want somebody so, to see this. Has somebody yeah. else to help me carry yeah, this yeah. payload take, out? Yeah, that's right. I'll take two trips. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's easy to celebrate other people's successes too. Yeah, you know, yeah. you, I, I, I'll admit it. I sometimes feel because we set up these hunts and things. I feel some pressure. Like I, I better come back with a tail or two. <laughs> and um, um, but. I really, especially that first-time hunter, the guy, it's not as easy as you think. A brand-new hunter, you might take him out. Um, you point him out a few squirrels, but even the idea of just discharging a firearm at another critter, the first time you do that, that that's it's an experience. It's, it's actually tough for people, and they might miss. So they might hunt two or three times and... And actually, not have success, but they—it's something they can keep. They can easily get their feet wet with, 
and to see a brand new hunter come back with their first squirrel you, you, a really seasoned fellow might look at that like huh that's a squirrel to that guy he you know means a lot yeah uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah he he just killed a moose right yeah. it's uh <laughs> yeah it's, it's, it's and it's a big deal and we should celebrate it and teach him how to break it down and then what do you do with it so it There's just so many things that small game hunting is conducive to that are then that, to allow you to lay in some lessons and hone your own craft into pursuing other animals. Yeah, you know, it really hit me hard at the Seminole Forest hunt. We had, uh, I had Micah, which was one of our, I think he had, he had actually come BHA. He had, hadn't heard of Under Pressure, and uh, but he walked around with me and Briar all day and he shot a squirrel and the, the first squirrel that he shot he said this is my first public land animal i was like yeah. dang like you know that really kind of hits like we were able to get this guy out and actually put him on his first public land animal like whether it be a squirrel or whatever but that that's still his you know that that was that was an accomplishment for him yeah to take his first public land animal oh yeah that from that the just, r3 perspective it's an easy thing to just would you like to go? And you'll have, and I don't have anything to hunt with. Yeah. Borrow my stuff. Yeah. You, know, you, know, you got a pair of jeans? Yeah. You, yeah. you got any kind of footwear that's other than sneakers and flip flops? Come on out. Let's go. Yeah. And we had actually, it's been great because we had actually recruited him at, or BHA had recruited him at that point, And then we have continued to retain him because Briar has, I, I'm, I think every, just about every Friday, him and since the Seminole Forest hunt, him and Briar have duck hunted together until the end of season. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's been great. So at the end of every we're gonna go ahead and boil it down here. And at the end of every episode, we like to do a segment called the under pressure outdoors tip of the week. This tip doesn't generally have to be what's discussed per episode, but uh you know whatever you guys have gathered throughout the episode let's go ahead and hear your tip all right well i'll give everybody a second to get out their pencils and paper all right yeah get, get ready um you know there's nothing more disappointing when you're squirrel hunting you shoot that thing well you know it's dead i mean it's, it comes out at tree it's graveyard dead hits the ground you walk over there it's nowhere to be found you look around look around look around all right well i'm gonna go back to where i was where i shot that squirrel is this where i was standing Maybe I was standing over here. I don't know. So I carry like a, not like a piece of flagging tape. I actually got like an orange, you know, like those uh, cargo strap. Yes. Piece of, I got like a foot and a half piece of that. If, if, if I remember, and I think, I shoot that squirrel. I know it's like real thick over there, right? I'll hang that right there where I'm at and then walk directly to where I think that squirrel was. And if I don't find it, I can walk back to where I was and reorient myself. Because, you know, sometimes you walk over there and you go, is this the tree he was in? Yeah. Or was it that one over there? You know, and you spend all your time looking around. So if you mark the spot where you were standing when you shot it, you know, you got to remember it, it takes a while to not just, you know, just go hauling over there when you have to shoot. You know, you got you to think, you know, it comes from experience. You know, you got to lose a few first, you know, and you, yeah. there's nothing worse than you know it's right here somewhere, but you can't find it. Yeah. It's like, like a VW thing in the tall grass, you know, it's yeah. there somewhere. Right? <laughs> you just can't find Bucket it. of water, yeah. yellow yeah. glasses, yeah. flagging tape. Got yeah. it. <laughs> I tell you what, it, it is, I have found over the years, it is extremely easy 
to become disoriented in the woods. Oh yeah. Because like I have tracked deer before and then found the deer and gone, all right, where am I at? <laughs> like, which direction did I just come here from? Well, I always, oh, I'm gonna give you a second tip. I always have know which way, I've, which cardinal direction I gotta walk to get back to the road and my vehicle's on. But I use the GPS and I usually track my, you know, mark my track because I just like to know where I've been. But I carry a pocket compass and a wrist compass because you, you only got to get lost once or twice, oh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Spend a night out in the woods, you know, when you weren't planning yeah. on it. It's not yeah. a good feeling. No, I like to know exactly where, I'm, where I was and where I'm getting back to. Yeah. One night looking for the VW thing was all that it was took. all it took after that. Man. <laughs> I was. Yeah, these are some accomplished outdoorsmen. We, I mean, not to pat ourselves on the back, but we spend a lot of time in the woods. And but we've all had that thing, and all you have to do is realize that you're going to have that really uncomfortable night. It only has to happen once, and you will become a compass man. You know? <laughs> so, so that comes back to the thing with it comes with age. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Pr- perspective and yeah. scars. I'll yeah. tell you what, if you're by yourself and you're sitting 100 yards from your Volkswagen thing in tall grass, and yeah, you like, start hearing stuff, you'll you'll become a believer in oh, Sasquatch. That's, that's, real oh, yeah, that, yeah, I was going to say, it's, yeah, it's Bigfoot country up there. Yeah. <laughs> you hear what we're talking about, Dylan, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Gene? Well, believe it or not, um, my biggest thing is gun safety. Um, being out in the woods, especially if you're with someone and... Uh, making sure that they're handling their gun proper and um, because the worst thing you can do is um, have an accident and uh, but um, it's a long haul out of the woods if you end up your gun falls out of your hand and shoot yourself in the leg and or yeah something like yeah. that so but you got to make sure you're handling your gun properly uh at all times out there and know when it's loaded and when it's unloaded and when the safety's on and when it's not absolutely complacency is key yes because as soon as as you become complacent is when things start to go wrong you know it's usually not new hunters that are guilty of that too it's like guys you know who've been handling (laughs) firearms a lot long time you get comfortable with them you know and it's like you know you start slinging it around you're like john wayne you know he's like you're carrying it all over you you know especially if you hunt alone a lot you know yeah oh yeah yeah you gotta be always vigilant yeah it's funny i'd actually decided i was going to give this as my tip of the week before you two gave yours but i was going to suggest that sportsmen go out and find a wilderness first aid class um and here you are talking about getting lost in the woods or perhaps having a terrible accident but um and if i can give a nod to the uh, to the boy scouts the boy scouts actually have an absolutely fantastic wilderness first aid class but that's not the only place that you take them um it helps to establish confidence and the other thing that we do spend we do spend a lot of time outdoors you don't know what you're going to run into. It might be something as simple as you were on a small game hunt and you hear a guy calling for help and you go there and he's tripped over a log and he's really broken or badly sprained an ankle. Um, knowing what to do to actually get that person out and maybe you don't have cell phone reception. Um, but having those tools in your bag of knowing what to do in both a relatively minor crisis like heat exhaustion uh, which is very popular and possible in florida to even 
um, things like dealing with real trauma, um, possibly gunshot wounds or compound fractures. Uh, even if you don't remember all of it, having some exposure to those things can, can be the difference between somebody making it out and not making it out, um, or even just taking, keeping something that was relatively minor from becoming something that's really major. Um, so the combination of, of wilderness first aid and, and actually going through a wilderness survival class, hopefully you never really need those things, but having that confidence just makes you more valuable to others, and it also makes you more comfortable when you're afield. Now, you know, and I would, I would dogpile on that, that, carry your first aid kit with you. Oh, absolutely. I've got a, I've got a pretty good first aid kit. The only thing I don't have in there that I keep meaning to put in is some quick clot. I mean, I got, I've got like a tourniquet. I've got some pretty good-sized bandages, liquid IV, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I don't always carry it with me. It's not heavy. I just think, ah, yeah. yeah. I do, but, man. I've got, I, I go back to the Boy Scout 10 Essentials. <laughs> There's always a little snack, compass, knife, you know. Toilet paper. Yeah, t- oh, well, actually, I've forgotten that. You can tell you that that's, that's, yeah. why you got yeah. a, that's why you never have any socks. Yeah. <laughs> Shirt tail. Yeah. I got a lot of ankle socks nowadays. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to kind of piggyback off Jim here and say that, uh, especially during early season, always carry water because yeah. dehydration can catch you quick and fast i mean it could be just as deadly as a snake bite yeah i started carrying one of those um if i'm if it's really hot i'll carry a if i'm not carrying a camelback with a fair amount of water in it i've got a life straw water bottle because most of the places i hunt they're swampy enough I've, you can fill that thing up yeah yeah you know there's always just you know you don't have to go far in a lot of places in florida to find some water <laughs> no no and I, I i actually learned that somewhat the hard way is uh i got bear caught pre-duck season and i was going out and just kind of clearing out some holes and i had some neoprene waders on and i was just trying to clear out lily pads in a hole just to create a good open spot for the ducks and next thing i know i'm like i'm a little bit lightheaded and the next thing i was like i gotta lay down because yeah i gotta trek out of here and i am not making it out if i do not cool down yeah like there was no way i was gonna yeah. walk i had to take my waders off and actually lay in this just nasty, mucky water to cool. cool myself down so that I could get out. Yeah, it doesn't take long to overheat. And the other side of that's hypothermia, too. Mm-hmm. A lot of guys. Early season, it's dehydration. Late season, you know, especially, didn't didn't Briar go in? That was me. Well, Briar went in, but I, I've, I've been in as well. I went oh, in after your dog. my dog. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. I mean it can happen to you relatively quick you don't you don't realize it and especially even if you're in a boat and you're heading back to uh to get where you want to go the combination of being wet cold and then subject to breeze take it out of you so just you know going back to that again wilderness survival wilderness first aid it sounds really over the top during a small game podcast um, but having those having those tools in the kit, man, they they might they might save your life and they might save the life of somebody else. So yeah. uh, more people that have it, the better. Well, I mean, you talk about hypothermia, and we talk about you know we chase squirrels in the swamp. You never know when you're walking through the swamp when you're just going to hit something that doesn't have any bottom. Our friend James Boyce got attacked by an alligator walking through Palmettos. Yeah, and if uh, if he hadn't if he didn't have the foresight to instruct his wife as to how to staunch the bleeding he 
he he would be our dead friend, James Boyce. So uh, yeah, you never know. Yeah, every I mean, it just everything happens in a second. Oh yeah, so. yeah. So um, with my tip of the week, what I gotta say is there is too much technology that we have. Take advantage of it. Take advantage of the technology. I will not go small game hunting. Or if I'm duck hunting or anything, I will go onto Google Maps and I will look at overlays of the land that I am hunting at the property lines just for the sole fact of, yes, I carry a compass, like you Mm -hmm. said, and that's a great tool. Um, But I like to have a general idea of where I am at and what I am getting into before I am there. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's that's, that's a good idea. Yeah, I think Onyx, to kind of plug that in again, has been a great key for me because I can download maps offline and then even if I'm in an area that I don't have signal, like Matt said, I can I can pull that up and still go, okay, look, here's property lines or at least the outlay of the area. Uh, oh, yeah, because you're not going to navigate on that map on a WMA brochure. No. <laughs> <laughs> you have a hard time not finding a check station. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I believe that's... Uh, that's it for this week. You want to go ahead and 